Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Bikes and Big Ideas is presented by CBG Trails. The CBG Trails app is the only complete trail map app of Crested Butte and the Gunnison Valley, Colorado. So download the app today and start exploring. What do politics, religion, and e-bikes have in common? Well, they're all topics that get people extremely worked up, often devolve into name-calling, and rarely are productive. And this really needs to change because e-bikes are not going away, so this is not some fringe issue that we can just simply ignore. And given this, we really need to figure out fast how to have more useful and productive conversations about e-bikes, and in particular, about e-mountain bikes. So, to this end, we're talking today to Dave Weens, the executive director of the International Mountain Biking Association, to have him explain what all this fuss is about and to identify what the biggest issues are with e-mountain bikes, present the concerns that the advocates of and the opponents of e-bikes most need to understand, and we'll have Dave weigh in on what the best way forward looks like. And our hope here is that all of us will gain a clearer understanding of the relevant issues and a better appreciation of the concerns that exist on both sides of the debate. Because if we can pull that off, that would actually constitute a solid step forward. And so let's see if we can get there with the help of IMBA director, Dave Weens. Well, Dave, welcome back to Blister headquarters. Very happy to have you back. And this was actually a portion of the conversation that I was hoping we would have had last time, but then I just realized we had a lot to talk about last time, and I think this topic warranted uh, its own conversation itself. So how would you give us kind of the state of the union on e-bikes or e-mountain bikes in particular? Well, I think, you know, one of the important parts to remember about e-mountain bikes is the topic has been going on for years, you know, long before I was at IMBA, it was, it was challenging the organization. Uh, but only in the last couple of years, and particularly this year, have they, has it become real. Uh, we like to say that, that, that e-mountain bikes were, were almost like ghosts. You know, we were talking about them and there was a lot of um, maybe fear around them, but they weren't on the landscape. Now they're on the trails, they're in shops on the floors. They're in demo fleets. Um, people are starting to buy them and seeing, seeing them on the landscape. So it's very, it's very real now, uh, whereas before uh, it wasn't so much. And there's a, you, know, you still have uh, a lot of, of conversation about them. And um, you're, you're seeing a lot of references to the European market where it's, it's you know, a good few years ahead of us. And the, I was over there for a, a meeting of IMBA Europe in May, and the way they described it, if you go to any of the resort areas in the Alps, you can't even rent a traditional non-motorized mountain bikes. All they have for rent are, are e-mountain bikes. Wow. Uh, so it's really taken Europe by storm. I think culturally, um, America, North America are a lot different than Europe. So 
Um, you know, the jury's still out on what we'll see ultimately, but the bicycle industry, you know, is, is obviously servicing Europe and they see what's happening there. And they're always trying to stay ahead of trends and, and um, you know, determine how best to, to conduct their business uh, in different markets. Do you have sales numbers? If for every 10 mountain bikes sold, do we know how many of those are e-mountain bikes? Yeah, there's there's definitely industry uh, industry data, and while e-bike sales, the percentage of e-bike sales is increasing dramatically, it's still you know the numbers are relatively small. Okay. But certainly this year we'll you know we'll set records for e-bike sales in in the United States. And it certainly seems like some of the bike companies themselves, right? They part of the reason why I think we're hearing more about this is they've really committed to this and marketing budgets are going toward this push and the rest. And it seems evident that it's sort of the chicken or the egg question. It's like, well, are consumers driving this or are some of the bike manufacturers driving this? And here and where we sit uh, at Blister, it certainly seems like there is a lot of interest on the manufacturer side. No, there, there's certainly a lot of interest uh, on the part of the industry, but I just think it's it's technology which has placed it out there. And here is this uh, this bicycle that um, gives you a little boost. And ridership is a big deal. Getting more people to ride bikes, uh, keeping people riding, um, you know, getting people outdoors and active. Uh, any industry wants to sell their products, and uh, if there's uh, you know a technological advance that comes along that can potentially add to that, you'd want to you'd want to you know take advantage of that. And I, I believe that's where we're at. And you know one thing that that is certain is that this technology is not going to go away. It's here. Uh, Europe is a is a great example of of that. So before we get too far down this rabbit hole, talk to me a little bit about what IMBA is, what do those letters stand for, what is kind of the scope and reach of IMBA, why does IMBA's take on this matter? So IMBA's been around for a little over 30 years, and it's the International Mountain Bicycling Association, and IMBA was born out of access challenges. The mountain bike, you know, was invented, more or less, (laughs) and started to be ridden on trails and, and trails started to be closed to, to these bicycles. So that's really how it, it started. And, and access continues to be, you know, one of the main, uh, main things that IMBA works on. We always wanna make sure that, uh, that we have access for mountain bikes. Uh, our, um, our mission is to create, protect and enhance great places to ride mountain bikes. And our vision is that everybody has great mountain biking uh, from iconic backcountry uh, opportunities to rides very close to where they live uh, and everything in between. Uh, our, our goal is more trails close to home. We want to see more riding close to where people live. And uh, if you talk to mountain bikers, you realize that uh, we like to take trips and, and go to destinations. But for the most part, we like to roll out of our house and, and go for a quick ride, whether it's uh, 45 minutes uh, in the morning before work or at lunch or after work. Uh, so more trails close to home is really important to mountain bikers. And if you happen to live in Crested Butte, these trails are your more trails close to home. So, um, you know, we, we love, the, we love the, the front country riding, but we also, you know, back country riding is a big part of it as well. So we're focused on increasing the quality and the quantity of, of trail 
mountain bike trail communities all across the country. And there is an I in IMBA, international, and uh, IMBA has done work all over the world um, throughout the, the existence of the organization. And we continue to um, you know, work internationally. Uh, we're, we're affiliated with IMBA Europe, IMBA Canada. Uh, you know, this, this interest in trails and in mountain biking for um, just for you know, communities to make people happier and healthier, uh, make communities more prosperous is really important. There's also a lot of interest in the destination. Uh, the, you know, mountain biking destinations too. So uh, internationally, we're, we get inquiries f- constantly from Colombia and you know different different countries all around the world who um, you know want to understand how they can um, you know create mountain biking trails. Right now, we're more focused on the United States and the communities here, and being able to really uh, let communities know the process from concept all the way through to finished and maintained trails on the ground. What's it gonna take to bring trails to our community? We're hearing that more and more. And um, you know, no one's been doing this longer than IMBA or knows how to do it better. Um, so we're focused on that. And um, you know, it really, you know, increasing the quality and the quantity of mountain bike trail communities is, is job one. And there's a lot of work to be done out there because there's a lot of communities. We want to make you know mountain biking, whether it's a bike park or a trail system or a little bit of both, as common as ball fields. Yep. And you've got high school mountain biking right now, NICA, the National Interscholastic Cycling Association, expanding um, wildly around the country. And they're expanding into places and teams are popping up where there's no place to ride. Parents are wondering, how come, wow, why do I have to drive so far? Uh, and we're... You know, we want to make sure that there's a there's mountain biking communities everywhere, uh, and then at the same time, we want to continue to educate existing mountain bikers and new mountain bikers on the importance of advocacy and public lands and shared stewardship, and also in in responsible riding. Very important uh, because we jump on a mountain bike; it's really fun, uh, but we're going fast, and we need to always make sure that uh, you know we understand that. Uh, you know, there are other users on the trails and, and uh, our job is never done in, in some of those regards. And from IMBA's perspective, we are an advocacy organization for traditional non-motorized mountain bikes. And to that, we're, our, our only interest in this is that we don't affect our access to, to, to trails. It's, it's, really, it's really simple. And there's, there's um, challenges and opportunities with e-mountain bikes. And there's challenges on the access front. There's opportunities in that we can create more advocates for trails and for public lands. We can get more people outside living healthy, active lifestyles. Um, you know, and what we're seeing is that the more that people at least try an e-mountain bike out and understand what it means, a class one pedal assist mountain bike, Oftentimes, their perception will change, at least incrementally, by that experience. And these bikes do not have a throttle. That would be a class two. You can't just throttle up something, so you still have to pedal the bike to get the assist. And, you know, we're hearing plenty of stories of people, you know, getting great workouts, having, um, you know, get, burning a lot of calories, all those things uh, on, an, on a knee mountain bike. So... Uh, again, there's opportunities and there's challenges, and it's really just you know navigating both of those. At IMBA, is it the case that you guys hear more frequently from e-mountain bike advocates? Do you hear 
more frequently from e-mountain bike opponents? Yeah, anecdotally, I would say it's it's pretty even. Uh, we certainly are hearing, um, you know, and I guess I'll back that up a little bit. What, what we're not hearing about is, and I can't think of, of one, um, you know, conflict issue that's specific that has come up like, hey, here's this place and an e-bike did this, and this is a challenge. But what we are hearing is, you know, you know, someone who um, is older, injured, for whatever reason, um, can't pedal. Just uh, We're hearing amazing stories about how someone who loved riding, didn't ride for a while because of, of whatever reason, was suddenly able to come back and ride mountain bikes again. And I have my own stories down in, in Gunnison, you know, Professor Western, uh, who, you know, had quit riding. And then someone said, hey, you should check out an e-bike. And, and now he's back out there. Yeah. So we're here, but, but you hear from both sides. But really, you hear, you hear the, loud, the loud voice of, um, you know, that, that, you know, these things shouldn't be on the trails. Um, but likewise, you're also hearing uh, from the other side that, that, that they should be and they're appropriate. So we hear, we hear it all. What do you think staunch proponents of e-bikes need to better appreciate or understand, if anything, about the issues surrounding e-bikes and trail access? Well, from IMBA's perspective, um, the staunch proponents need to understand that access to trails for mountain biking is tenuous and never guaranteed. And it's something that IMBA has worked on for 30 years, IMBA and local organizations and local mountain bikers all across the country and all around the world. And that access is never safe. We can never sleep. Uh, we can never rest on our, our laurels. So anything that comes along that could potentially impact that access negatively, we're going to take very seriously. And the e-mountain bike has that potential because of the existence of the motor. Mm-hmm. It's as, it's as simple as that. And there are you know, still people, and there always will be, who are not fans of mountain bikes and mountain biking. And um, you know, we have these conversations frequently where we need to defend our sport. And um, it, it can be um, just a little more challenging when the bikes suddenly have a motor on it. We understand it's a low-powered motor, it's pedal assist only, but um, you know, someone who is uh, an opponent of mountain biking can still point to the motor. So you're saying, you know, access, trail access to mountain bikes is always tenuous and it has been for 30 years. Say it just a little bit more about that. It's, um, it's folks in the hiking community who are like, hey, we would just love to not have to worry about a mountain bike ripping around a corner. Or is this in large part ranchers? Or who, who are the folks? And they might have some legitimate complaints with mountain bikers, right? Which is also a related issue here is like, how do we as mountain bikers do a better job of not pissing off people who would are then like, you know, it'd be sweet if there were no mountain bikers on this trail. Say a little bit more about some of these groups or what the complaints are and why this has been an ongoing thing for 30 years. 
Well, and you know, I can't point to anything specifically, but some some areas of the country, um, California comes to mind around the, the population centers there, where there's a lot of pressure on the trails from a lot of different users. Um, you know, they've always worked really hard to preserve their access there where they have it. Some places, you know, they still don't have it. Mount Mount Tamalpais is a great example of uh, an area where mountain bikers would love to have access to those trails, but it just has never worked out uh, for the most part. They've made a few gains in that area. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's there, there's more and more pressure on public lands and public spaces and trails in particular because that's primarily how people access the the open space. Climbers aren't really sharing the rock wall with anybody. If you're a river runner, you're on the river with other river people. Um, trails are the unique uh, feature that bring a lot of different people together. And, um, you know, granted, there's places like right here at the ski resort where you have some mountain biking specific trails. They're directional. They're built for mountain bikes. And there's becoming more and more of these opportunities all across the country in different places where mountain bikers really can let go of the brakes and, and get that experience that, that, uh, that we're all trying to get. But at the same time, we also have to remember um, that maintaining access to those shared use trails is really important to mountain bikers and that we need to recognize when we're on a shared use trail and there could be a family of hikers or uh, a horseback rider or any other number of users around every single corner and we need to ride accordingly. So that there are opportunities where we can you know, let go of the brakes and ride really fast. But there are other times when we can't ride near as fast as we might be able to because we can't see what's around the corner. Um, you know, blind corners are one of the biggest challenges to, to you know, safety on the trail. And that's why IMBA Trail Solutions and uh, the rest of the professional trail building community are always talking about sight lines when they're laying out trails and how important sight lines are. Uh, so there's just more interest in public lands, more users, more runners, more hikers, more mountain bikers, um, more of everybody. And the, the trail um, inventory isn't probably increasing at the same level as the interest on the public lands. I mean, we're trying to do everything we can to, to put more trails on the ground, closer to where people live, giving them easier access. Um, but there's an awful lot of interest in physical activity, getting outside. You know, people are really sort of waking up to the fact that, hey, going to the gym is kind of a grind. Going out and riding a mountain bike or going for a trail run or hiking is a lot less of a grind. And it's, it's good for me. It clears my head. It's good for my body. And the more people have those, those easy access, easily accessible trail opportunities near them, um, you know, we make, that makes for happier and healthier people and communities. Um, so we're doing everything that we can, but within that, then you need to manage the, the shared use aspects of it. It's always really interesting. And I think kind of instructive that when we're having these conversations and, you know, when we see them on blister and we've kind of wrote, written an editorial on this topic. And then in the comments section of Noah Bodman's review of the pivot shuttle. You you get a nice little microcosm of a lot of the opinions um, on, on both sides of this issue. And it's always interesting for the Europeans to come weigh in on this, where they just point out like, guys, this is really a, like a North American or a, an, a, a USA fight and conflict. Can you say a little bit or speak to that? Why we have this, like this is such an issue for us in this country, 
less so in Europe? You know, I couldn't I couldn't pinpoint why that is. Is it uh, it, it's a, it's, is it cultural? Is it because the bicycle is so ingrained in European culture that this comes along and they're just like, it's, it's just a bike. And that's yeah. what people will always say is it's just a bike. Yeah. Um, it just help, you know, helps you pedal a little bit. So I, I really, I don't know what the specific reason that that is, but it certainly does seem like it, it, um, you know, it gets, it gets people very, uh, excited in the, in the United States. And, and there are challenges in Europe. It's not as if that, you know, everyone embraces the e-mountain bike over there. And there's plenty of of uh, access challenges that they have there because there's a lot of walkers and hikers and you know it's not as if they're immune to the the challenges and the access issues that we are um in in france and germany they're constantly um you know working hard to preserve access um you know for mountain bikes and and the e-mountain bike goes goes along with that now um but no it's 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 really interesting to to try to understand that but it's just, it, there's a cultural difference there and I couldn't tell you exactly what it is. Does IMBA have a general stance where, you know, you're talking about we, we want to and need to see more trails built. Is IMBA's stance that like 100% of the time we'd like to see these be multi-use trails? Or is IMBA's stance like we are, it's totally dependent on the, the location uh, we might recommend multi-use here, but actually we are interested in say bike specific, which I guess would encompass non-motorized mountain bikes and motorized mountain bikes. How, what's going on in that state of like, not just the status, the status of current trails, but for what might be built, you know, going forward. Oh yeah. Trail planning. No, that's a, that's a big world and it's, it's never going to be the same uh, in any place. And it just depends on what you have, who the land manager is, uh, sort of what the, the guardrails that you might have to operate within. But if you have a blank, a blank canvas to work from, um, you know, the, the trail solutions folks are going to figure out what's the best possible trail system for the community. And then the entity that, that wants the trails, whether it's a city, a county, or a state, they're going to define that as well. If they come in and they say, hey, this is just going to be for mountain biking, you know, plan us the absolutely the best place for mountain biking possible. We'll do that. But our trail solutions folks will go in there and they'll say, you know, what are the other users? They go, oh, we got a lot of people that, that walk their dogs and hike. We've got a vibrant trail running community, and we've got a few people that, that ride horses, and they'll work They'll, they'll work all of those pieces in. And sure, you might, you know, have some bicycle-specific trails that are, um, you know, bicycle-only and directional. Or you might have, you know, two-directional trails for hiking and running, but single direction for bikes, like uphill only for bicycles. So there's all kinds of different ways that, that you can plan for all the different uses. And that's really what's important to EMBA is not only do we want to make sure that mountain bikers have the best possible experience, we want to make sure that all trail users have the best possible experience, including you know runners, walkers, equestrians, because the trail itself is, is central to our experience, but also the interaction that we have while we're on that trail is very important too. And if we're having a great trail experience, but we're having a really um, lousy social social experience because there's people that are, you know, mad at us for whatever reason, that doesn't work. So we go to great lengths, as, as does the trail building trail uh, trail uh, building industry, to make sure that 
we're going to, as harmoniously as we can, combine all of these uses. And in some places, that's just straight up shared use. And then it's really the responsibility of, of mountain bikers to, to ride in a responsible manner um, because of the, the fact that we don't know what's around every corner. And they've you know, got two, you know, travel going in both directions, lots of different users. So, um, but no, it, absolutely. We're always trying to plan the best possible system for everybody. And that certainly, um, you know, does include some, some mountain bike only trails. So we talked about what you think some of the staunch advocates for e-mountain bikes need to better appreciate or understand about issues around e-bikes and trail access. What do some of the staunch opponents of e-mountain bikes maybe need to better appreciate or understand? Well, I think the staunch opponents, when you talk to them, a lot of times they have, um, you know, a reason or reasons, and oftentimes they're, they're very specific. And IMBA's only concern is that we're protecting access for traditional non-motorized mountain bikes. And, you know, our, our position on it is that we're supportive of class one e-mountain bikes using mountain biking trails as long as access isn't threatened. A second part of this position, which is very important, is that we don't want to see traditional non-motorized mountain bikes and class one mountain bikes combined into a single category for management. We want them to remain distinct classifications such that class one e-mountain bikes will have their own rules and regulations different than mountain bikes. And what that does is that allows land managers to make decisions based on each category. And it, it certainly allows for uh, the inclusion of class one on mountain biking trails and in that situation, um, but the decision would be distinct though. Yes, this trail's open to mountain bikes and let's study class one. Yes, we've determined that, that it's also gonna be open to class one. How that separate um, classification really works out is that on your signposts for who the trail is open to, you've got hiker, you've got horse, you've got traditional mountain bike, and then you'd have a class one e-mountain bike. We wanna make sure that those stickers remain distinct. We don't wanna see one sticker that includes both class one and mountain bikes, because once they co go together like that, you're never gonna get them apart again. And it's very important that, that, that the classifications remain distinct. That way a land manager can say, okay, this trail's open to hikers, it's open to horses, it's open to traditional mountain bikes, and it's open to class one e-mountain bikes, but no motorized vehicles higher than a class one. Or for whatever reason, if they decided that they were going to draw the line at a traditional mountain bike and not allow class one, they would have that opportunity as well. So my suspicion is that if I'm a bike manufacturer and I'm selling e-mountain bikes, I suspect that I would actually be quite motivated in blending those two categories not keeping, you just said we at Imba would like to keep a distinct class one, keep that separate from non-motorized. Is this, has this been true in your experience in terms of what you're hearing from bike manufacturers? Um, do I have it wrong in terms of my hunches? Well, I'm sure there's some that would, that would prefer um, an easier option like that, but People for Bikes, the industry trade organization supports our position 
on e-mountain bikes. And they're, you know, they, they speak for the industry. So um, we think it's a thoughtful position because it's, uh, it, it gives a lot of uh, opportunities both for traditional mountain bikes, which is our focus, but it also allows um, you know opportunities for for class one e mountain bikes as well. And you know, important to Imba is that we are a resource for local organizations and local decision making that's happening all across the country on this topic, and that we can offer uh, our insight. And as long as you know, for the most part, local mountain bikers, local land managers, and other stakeholders feel. Uh, that class one e-mountain bikes on some existing mountain biking trails would be appropriate. We support that. But those decisions, those decisions need to be made locally. So what do you think is the strongest argument that a person could make for blending these classes? Uh, it's just easy, easy to, easy to manage. It's just, you don't have to to try to parse this category. The bikes are starting to look very similar. Uh, right now, it takes a trained eye to spot an e-mountain bike. It's only gonna become more so in the future. But there's a certain amount of, um, you know, there's, there's people out there that will, if, if a trail is, is marked as being closed to all, all e-mountain bikes, they won't use the trail. Um, there's, a, you know, there's a certain, uh, hopefully a majority of people who will follow the regulations that, that are in place for, for trail use. Um, there will always be outliers, but there are challenges when you start thinking about um, all of the different, you know, because you have class one, then the, well, what about class two and class three? Uh, or, you know, are you gonna, how are you going to portray that? Uh, so th those are some of the challenges. I think it just makes it easy. If it's open to mountain bikes, it's automatically open. To, uh, to class one e-bikes, but that's so challenging from uh, you know, the access perspective. And we don't ever wanna see, the, the thing is, is if, once they're combined, you're never gonna pull them back apart. And we don't know what sort of access challenges will present, um, be, present themselves in the future, but we wanna make sure that, that, that anything, anything that does come up, we are able to keep those categories distinct so that then decisions that are being made can be made um, relating to one category or the other and not have to take them both into consideration, um, positive or negative. We've seen a couple comments come up from people who on the pro e-mountain bike side of things where I thought it was interesting. They were saying like, you folks worried about trail access and hence your concern about e-mountain bikes. You act like we're not doing any advocacy work on our end. And uh, I just thought that was an interesting take because honestly, I don't know who is doing what or what camps are coming in to do advocacy work or trail planning and the like. But I thought that was at least a fair point to raise that it's like, I don't know percentages or anything, but it sure seems uh, <laughs> absolutely reasonable to assume that especially thinking about areas where there's trail planning and plans for future trails that those who have been most impressed or perhaps have had their own lives most impacted um, by being able to get out on an e-mountain bike and ride or ride longer or ride later in life or whatever is the reason, uh, they are just as motivated as anybody else to make sure that they've got the right trails and networks in place and, and the right kind of status for these trails. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's important to remember that at least at this point, a lot of, of e-mountain bikers are mountain bikers. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, there's certainly some brand new people, but there's a lot of, of people who are mountain bikers and they're just trying this new technology, uh, whether they feel like they need it or they just, you know, they just want to, um, you know, try something new. Uh, and, and, and they're great advocates. So it, it'll certainly help. It'll grow the ranks of, of advocacy. There's no question about that. At IMBA, have you heard much from that camp? Um, I guess I'm always just curious, like who's, who's badgering you guys or checking in with you guys? Oh yes, for sure. We, we definitely hear from, you know, passionate E mountain bikers that yeah. would like to see, uh, more access and, um, oh, you bet. No, we, we, we definitely hear from, from, from all sides, but that's, that's, a that's becoming a, a larger group just because more people are, are, you know, riding them and, 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 um, you know, getting out on them. So it makes sense that as that industry, uh, evolves and more mountain bikes from the landscape, we're going to hear from more of the proponents, um, of the technology who, who want to make sure that they can use them on trails. And of course, you could imagine that the challenges with a group of people goes for a ride, and and you know groups of of, of riders, um, you know they run the gamut from uh, with, with as regard to age and and fitness and things like that. And uh, you know one of the the advantages of, of the class one e bike is that it's kind of a leveler mm-hmm. of of that, and people who couldn't go on a ride could suddenly you know be able to go on a ride and keep up with the rest of the group. And we had that situation in, in Bentonville, Arkansas at Outer Bike last fall. We had a group, the you know class ones are, are absolutely um, you know acceptable on those trails. And we had two people who wouldn't have ridden with this group except that they, they demoed e-bikes and they were right in the mix the whole time with huge smiles on their face. So you you certainly um, hear a lot about that and you can, you can see it yourself, I've seen it myself. Yeah. And I think that's a great example of like, that's a real world tangible difference. And I don't know, man, I think if you're the kind of person who's like, well, those people just shouldn't have been out on that ride that day, they should have been left back at home or at camp. Like, I don't know what to say to you, but we now are like, I just fundamentally disagree with that perspective. I think that goes along the lines too, of folks who are like, those aren't mountain bikes. Those are mopeds. Like, I don't give a shit about that. The only reason I would care is if people are failing to understand these issues of access and that, right? Like if e-bikes are, as you've already said at the top of this conversation, the issue here is if and where we are in areas where we might be jeopardizing trail access, that's when this becomes an issue as far as I can tell. Somebody who's like, well, you should just get more fit or somebody's like, that's not a mountain bike, that's a moped. Those are ones that I just can't figure out or get behind as being something other than sort of snobbery. Yeah, no, there's there's certainly that, the, the fitness element. And there seems to be, um, you know, cycling has a tradition of, you need to earn it. You need to be fit enough to be able to do it. But it's also what holds, I guess, the industry back somewhat is that not everybody is able to ride their bike a lot and be fit. And if, if you're not doing that, if you're not riding very often and you just pull your bike out and you go for a ride, you don't have to climb much before you're you're kind of done. And you know what the class one uh, e- mountain bikes allow people to do is 
is be more of a weekend warrior and, and have a longer, better experience while you're out there. And yeah, there are, are people who don't want that to happen. There was a great quote in Bicycle Retailer. I think it was someone from Giant who said, um, not everyone you know, wants their, you know, their bicycle ride to be a feat of endurance. And so there's that. Whole, you really have to change your mindset, though. And if you come from that, that sort of cycling uh, mentality of, you know, it's hard work, it's pain, it's suffering and training. Uh, yeah, it's a little tough maybe to, to swallow someone, you know, passing you on an e-bike who hasn't, you know, put the same amount of time in. But uh, that's, not a, that's not a consideration that Imba even considers uh, at all. What relevant issues or topics have we not brought up yet in this conversation? Well, I think it's important to note that there are places where e-mountain bikes are, um, are legal. Um, Northwest Arkansas, the Bentonville area, Jefferson County open space in uh, you know, the west side of Denver, which is a heavily used trail system uh, by runners and, and walkers. Uh, the McDowell Mountain Parks around Scottsdale, very, very heavily used system down there. Uh, Cuyuna, Minnesota, same thing. And we're not hearing anything negative yet about class 1E mountain bikes in these places. So uh, when Jefferson County, for example, when they announced they were just going to you know, open the system up to, to e-mountain bikes anywhere the mountain bikes were allowed, there was a huge flare-up on social media, and then it died away. And, and I'll check in periodically with the, you know, the Jeff- Jeffco folks, and they're saying, we're dealing with you know, dogs off leashes and, and parking issues. We're not dealing with anything that has to do with e-mountain bike. Not that it couldn't happen, but so, so far, um, we're, we're not hearing about conflicts. Um, not saying they're not out there, but we're just not hearing about them yet. And there are places who are, are um, you know, they're, they're being accepting of, of class one. So yeah, it's not about any on-trail conflicts. This still goes back to the behind the scenes world of, is that trail going to be open or not? Is that fair to say? Yeah, and when you have the federal agencies, uh, U.S. Forest Service and BLM in particular, that still consider the, you know, all mountain bikes, including class ones, to be motorized. Therefore, they are only allowed on motorized trails. Um, you know, that's a challenge for, for you know, class one e-bike access because it's it's a lot of the it's a lot of the landscape around here in Crested Butte. A lot of the trails. Uh, are not open to class 1e mountain bikes because they're on forest service. But the other independent land managers like the land trust also, I believe, don't allow the the class 1e bikes on their trails as well. So that is, um, you know, that's that's the challenge right now. But you are still, you are seeing uh, in Lake Tahoe, the forest service uh, has allowed some class 1 on some non-motorized trails in that area. Durango has the first, uh, I think, purposefully built um, trail that's open to class one e-bikes. Important here is that it's open to class one, but not class two or three or motos. So it's just that very, um, you know, that very lowest level of, of pedal assist mountain bike that are um, beginning to be allowed on some of these trails. So, uh, you know, it's hard to tell what the future is going to hold. But uh, again, it, it really, it all comes back to, um, to issues of access and IMBA being an organization that is focused on traditional non-motorized mountain bikes, that's our only concern is access. 
And if class one can coexist with other trail users and traditional mountain bikes on a trail and everything's good, we're supportive of that. Um, but uh, as soon as access is potentially threatened, then, um, then, then we're not supportive. It's pretty simple, and from Imba's perspective, we, we don't we don't get into a lot of the the smaller conversations that are taking place out there. Uh, there's a, there's you know certainly a lot of of chatter and, and different uh, topics about you know the e mountain bike is this or that or the other. For us, it's all about access to trails, and and we do want to see um, more people riding bikes, more people outside, more people exercising. Uh, you know, we want to emphasize that we want to focus on the common ground and the common ground is, is, is just that it's being active, being outside, having fun, protecting public lands and public places. And we can all come together on this, um, that, and then just, you know, being an asset to local organizations so that they can, we can help them make the decision that they need to make, uh, that's best for them and their local area. And it's different all around the country. There's different dynamics, certainly, that, that are taking place. So uh, however IMBA can be helpful in, in those decisions as they come up, because right now I do think it's, it's a bit of a gray area in a lot of places. It's just, it's just you know, people don't know, don't know what to do with it. Um, but more and more it's, um, you know, it's changing and, and people are, are, are coming around and making those decisions, um, you know, regardless of which direction they go. And um, Emma just wants to, to support local mountain bikers. So to, to wrap this up and just to try to get clear, do you feel like there is a clear solution to these heated debates or is there a clear path forward? Well, to me, the clear path forward is time. Time, time will tell. You know, IMBA certainly isn't, isn't hindering class one um, being accommodated on mountain biking trail if, you know, again, for the most part, land managers, mountain bikers, other stakeholders can come together and put that use onto the trail. And then what we're seeing right now, and, and this is just in its infancy, uh, let's see where we are in five years. And that's why we don't want to see the categories combined. We want to keep those separate classifications. And I don't know what it could possibly be, but if in you know two or five or 10 or 15 years, something starts to happen and access is threatened, we don't want it, we want the, the two to remain distinct so that then decisions can be made that won't, that won't affect you know, both in one felled swoop. So it's really important that, um, you know, IMBA is part of this conversation because we know, um, you know, we know more about this topic than, than any other organization that's out there. And it's important to us. It's important to traditional non-motorized mountain bikes and class 1E e mountain bikes that, you know, both have the, the opportunities for access in the future. And we feel like if they're combined, you're going to hinder both access for both of them. And so um, if they stay distinct, uh, we'll continue to be able to move access for traditional mountain bikes ahead. And also where appropriate, we'll be able to, um, you know, we'll see class one access increase as well, especially probably in new trail development, because now, I mean, they're on the landscape. And when you go into a place, you say, hey, you've got, so now we've got regular mountain bikes uh, and you've got e-mountain bikes. Is that something that we want to consider in this system? So uh, certainly in, in, you know, new trail construction, it's something that, that we're looking at, just like we look at every other type of use. And it, it's, 
important to remember too, I think a lot of people ride on, on trails that are open to motorized use around here, Hartman Rocks, you know, fantastic mountain biking down there. It's open to motos. So e-bike use out there isn't, isn't an issue at all. The Cement Creek trails near Crested Butte, all motorized, you know, motos uh, have been riding those trails for years. And so that, that's, uh, it's not even a, a concern in places like that. Well, hey, Dave, once again, thank you for taking the time. And um, yeah, I mean, this is a huge issue right now in our sport. And uh, as we've said, there's a lot of uh, very fiery opinions on these things. And I just think this is one of those things where I don't see why there needs to be so much anger on this issue. And uh, I do think, man, I can't imagine that there are too many of us who don't like the sound of enabling more people to get out and ride. And yes, we need to do that in responsible ways. And yes, we need to think about trail planning and building more trails, good trails. But I'd sure like to think that this could be at least a bit of a step in the process to helping us get on the same page, helping us understand the the real issues and the relevant issues and maybe clarifying and getting rid of some of the non-issues out there. But um, I think your perspective on this has been useful and, and hopefully uh, a bit clarifying for some of us. Yeah, no, I agree with what you just uh, articulated and thank you very much for this opportunity. And, and again, just, you know, let's focus on our common ground. There's so much that we can, that we can agree on, on this topic. And, um, you know, let's just, you know, move it forward and, and, you know, see where it goes because these things aren't going away. Thank you, sir, as always. And uh, I can't wait to find the, uh, find opportunity for the next conversation that I'll drag you into. Thanks, Jonathan. Always a pleasure. <laughs> All right. Take care, Dave. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Dave for the conversation. And please let us know in the show notes to this episode what you think about what has been proposed here. I also want to thank Luke Alley for producing this episode. I want to thank you for listening. And now, please take good care out there, and we will talk to you again next week.